Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 one and all, to the 10th episode of this little podcast that I've done. Um, this one's going to be a little bit interesting. It's going to be a little bit random because I've got no notes and I'm just kind of doing it all by ear. I am proper winging this one today. Um, as I mentioned last time on the podcast, uh, with this being the 10th one, I'm going to delve into that wonderful, wonderful story of the Mabinogion. Before I kind of delve into that and, and read the first branch of the Mabinogion, I am going to do my little spell that I usually do. This week, I am drinking Doombar. Uh, that's mainly because I couldn't get to the shop that sells Welsh beer. So I'm drinking Doombar. It's a Cornish beer. It's from Cornwall. It's an amber ale. Um, and Cornwall does appear quite often in the Mabinogion. So I thought, there's your connection. I know it's a Welsh book and Welsh folklore and Welsh tales. But, well, you're getting Doom. Well, I'm getting Doombar. You're not. You're drinking whatever you're drinking. So, yeah. Um... I'm not going to delve too much into the Mabinogion today. I'll do I'll do a little bit of delve on each time I kind of tell one of these stories because the actual stories are they're long. So this is going to be a long episode as it is. But first off, kind of what is the Mabinogion? It's a technically it's a 14th century manuscript. Um, well, maybe even earlier than that. Uh, it can kind of come from maybe the 12th or 11th century, depending kind of how you view that. It, it comes from the uh, the main stories come from what's known as the Red Book of Hergest. I'm not going to read the Welsh translation of that name. Oh, I might. Where is it? Uh, I do have I have some things up here in front of me. Can I find the Welsh name? Oh, here we go. It is the Lifir Goch Hergest or the Lifir Gwyn Rydek. Apologise to any Welsh people listening. Um, it, it's the Red Book of uh, Hergest is um, kind of where it originally comes from, which is an ancient manuscript from Wales. It's a collection of 11 stories from Welsh literature, and it's kind of seen as one of the earliest forms of literature written in the in, in Britain or in England, on the British Isles. It draws upon the kind of mythical stories and tales from the Celtic people, where you get folklore, tradition and history all kind of combined into one. And it's amazing, and I love it, and it's weird and mental. Uh, the name Mabinogion is a bit of an odd one because, well, it kind of well, it apparently comes from um, an incorrect mistake. It comes from a mistake. So the name it comes from some medieval bloke who copied something down wrong, apparently. So there's um, it's to do with plurals and things within Welsh. So there's a word in Welsh called Mabinogion, that's M-A-B-Y-N-N-O-G-Y-O-N, um, and the plural term is Mabinogi. It's kind of what in Welsh the plural term is Mabinogi, um, but due to the, the, that misprint, the mis kind of copying, it went from Mabinogi to Mabinogion, and um, being a plural of the word Mabinogi. Mabinogi comes from the word Mab, ancient Welsh, uh, which means son, child, or young person. And that's kind of all we really know about the name and the, that thing. 
it's not really about anyone in particular. As I say, it's a collection of 11 stories. The four branches of the Mambanogion, so the four that I will start reading with, there is connections between them. And then the, the remaining seven tales are kind of a bit of a mishmash, and we see a lot of connections with the Arthurian legends in those ones. Maybe I'll look at those separately from my main Mabinogion stories that I'm going to do. So today I'm going to be directly reading um, the first branch of the Mabinogi, the, um, what's it called, Pirwil, Prince of Divid story. I am reading it from the version, uh, which you can find online, uh, by Lady Charlotte Guest in 1877. Um, <laughs> Lady Charlotte Guest was the first person to translate the Mabinogi into English. And uh, she's actually a bit of an epic woman, so I would recommend going up and having a, having a bit of a read, a read up of her. She's she's kind of cool, early feminist kind of coolness style. But yeah, she was she was the first woman to well, not really the first woman, first person to produce the Mabinogion in print format. I'm going to, as I say, as you've already noticed with some of my pronunciations here, I have problems saying Welsh words. I have a little bit of an impediment around W's and things, so. This is going to be an interesting thing. Uh, I'm going to put out massive apologies for mispronouncing names, places, peoples, and whatnot in this. Some of it I'll get so wrong it'll be embarrassing. Some of it I'm just going to... I'm going to stop talking about that now. But yes, I do recommend you now kind of sit back, relax, and enjoy the sound of my voice in your ear holes. As I tell you, the tale of Pyrrhal, Prince of Divid. Pyrrhal, Prince of Divid, was lord of the seven cantrevs of Divid, and once upon a time he was at Narbreth, his chief palace, and he was minded to go and hunt, and the part of his dominions in which it pleased him to hunt was Glyncook. So he set forth from Narbeth that night, and went as far as Lewin Diawid, and that night he tarried there, and early on the morrow he rose and came to Glyncook, where he let loose the dogs in the woods, and sounded the horn, and began the chase. And as he followed the dogs, he lost his companions. Silly man. And whilst he listened to the hounds, he heard the cry of other hounds, a cry different from his own, and coming from the opposite direction. Dun, dun, dun. Already starting with the tense nature here of an epic story. There are dogs with a different sound coming. Dun, 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 dun. And he beheld a glade in the wood forming a level plain. And his dogs came to the edge of the glade. He saw a stag before the other dogs. And lo, as it reached the middle of the glade, the dogs that followed the stag overtook it and brought it down. Then looked he at the colour of the dogs, staying not to look at the stag. And of all the hounds he had seen in the world, he had never seen any that were like unto these. For their hair was a brilliant shining white, and their ears were red. And the whiteness of their bodies shone, so did the redness of their ears glisten. And he came towards the dogs, and drove away those that had brought down the stag, and set his own dogs upon it. And they're creepy, weird dogs, glistening red ears. Eww, bit grim. And as he was setting his dogs, he saw a horseman coming towards him upon a large, light grey steed, with a hunting horn around his neck, and clad in garments of grey woollen, in the fashion of a hunting garb. And the horseman drew near, and spoke unto him thus, Chieftain, said he, I know who thou art, and I greet thee not. Peradventure, said Pyrrhal, thou art of such dignity that thou shouldest not do so? Verily, answered he, it is not my dignity that prevents me. 
What is it then, O chieftain? asked he. By heaven, it is the reason of thine own ignorance and want of courtesy. What, discourtesy, chieftain, hast thou seen in me? Greater discourtesy saw I never in a man, said he, than to drive away the dogs that were killing the stag and to set upon it thine own. This was discourteous, and though I may not be revenged upon thee, yet I declare to heaven that I will do thee more dishonour than the value of a hundred stags. Oh, chieftain, he replied, if I have done ill, I will redeem thy friendship. How wilt thou redeem it? According as thy dignity may be, but I know not who thou art. A crowned king am I in the land whence I come. Lord, said he, may the day prosper with thee, and from what land comest thou? From Anhwin, answered he. Aaron, a king of Anhwin, am I. Lord, said he, how may I gain thy friendship? And this manner mayest thou, he said. There is a man whose dominions are opposite to mine, who is ever warring against me, and he is Havgan, a king of Anwin. And by ridding me of his oppression, which thou canst easily do, shalt thou gain my friendship. Gladly will I do this, said he. Show me how I may. I will show thee. Behold, thus it is thou mayest. I will make firm friendship with thee, and this I will do. Ooh. There's a lot of to and froing here, and I'm not doing accents, so you're going to have to guess who's saying what there. Uh, but yeah, apparently you shouldn't steal somebody else's kill, uh, because then they'll make you go fight somebody for them. And with this being like 18th, 19th century, uh, there's lots of thous, thous, theirs, and what forths in here. It does make it sound kind of regal and stuff. It's kind of entertaining. Anyway... And I think it's Anwin, An Anwin, the, the name of the place, A-N-N-W-V-Y-N, Anwin. Anyway, I did have a, I do have a text somewhere which kind of tells me how to pronounce these things, but uh, it's not around me at the moment, and I will probably fail anyway. Uh, so where are we? Uh, and this I will do. I will send thee to Anwin in my stead, and I will give thee the fairest lady thou didst ever behold to be thy companion, and I will put my form and semblance upon thee so that not a page of the chamber, nor an officer, nor any other man that has always followed me shall know that it is not I. This is all a bit seedy court. And this shall be for the space of a year from tomorrow, and then we will meet in this place. Yes, said he, but when I shall have been there for the space of a year, by what means shall I discover him of whom thou speak? One year from this night, he answered is the time fixed between him and me that we should meet at the ford. Be thou there in my likeness, and with one stroke that thou givest him, he shall live no longer. And if he asks thee to give him another, give it not, how much soever he may entreat thee. For when I do so, he fought with me the next day, as well as ever before. Verily, said Pyrrhal, what shall I do concerning my kingdom? said Arwen. I will cause that no one in all thy dominions, neither man nor woman, shall know that I am not thou, and I will go there in thy stead. Gladly then, said Pyrrhal, will I set forward. Clear shall be thy path, and nothing shall detain thee, until thou come into my dominions, and I myself will be thy guide. So, mm, deals with what quite clearly are some form of seely court, maybe. 
who says, you go give you my visage and you can go fight this bloke for me. In a very weird way, like only hit him once, because apparently he gets back up again if you hit him more than once. How, how, however, Aaron didn't know to not keep hitting him and still kept hitting him, and yet he's getting someone else to do the job for him. It's a bit weird, that one. So he conducted him until he came inside to the palace and its dwellings. Behold, said he, the court and the kingdom in thine power. Enter the court, there is no one there who will know thee, and when thou seest what service is done there, thou wilt note the customs of the court. So he went forward to the court. And when he came there, he beheld sleeping rooms and halls and chambers, and the most beautiful buildings ever seen. And he went into the hall to disarray, and there came youths and pages and disarrayed him, and all as they entered saluted him. And two knights came and drew his hunting dress from about him, and clothed him in a vesture of silk and gold. And the hall was prepared, and behold, he saw the household and the host enter in. And the host was the most comely and best equipped that he had ever seen. And with them came in likewise the queen, who was the fairest woman that he had ever yet beheld. And she had on a yellow robe of shining satin, and they washed and went to the table, and sat, the queen upon one side of him, and the one who seemed to be an earl on the other side. Now the issue here is, this is, this is not telling you which court you're in, and you're not seeing any names here. But from what I know from other things, this is Pyrrhal in Aaron's court. Um, so he, this, is, this is a human possibly going to a seely court or an elvish court in, in, in Wales and things. So just as a bit of context, because it's all just he's and they's and hers and him's rather than anything else here at the moment. And he began to speak with the Queen, and he thought from her speech that she was the seemliest and most noble lady of converse and of cheer that ever was. And they partook of meat and drink. Yay, drink! Woo! We like drink here, as if you hadn't guessed. With songs and with feastings, and all the courts upon earth beheld this was the best supplied with food and drink, and vessels of gold and royal jewels. Rich bugger. And the year he spent in hunting and minstrelsy, and feasting and diversions, and discourse with his companions, until the night was fixed for the conflict. And when that night came, it was remembered even by those who lived in the farthest parts of his dominions. And he went to the meeting, and the nobles of the kingdom with him. And when he came to the ford, a knight arose and spoke thus. Lords, said he, listen well. It is between two kings that this meeting is, and between them only. Each claimeth of the other his land and territory, and do all of you stand aside and leave the fight to be between them. Thereupon the two kings approached each other, and in the middle of the ford, and encountered. And at first thrust the man who was in the stead of Arran struck Havgan on the centre of his boss of his shield, so that it was cleaven in twain, and his armour was broken, and Havgan himself was borne to the ground, and arms and a spear's length over the cropper of his horse and he received a deadly blow. So, uh, so uh, yeah, uh, Pyrrhal's quite strong, because he just battered the crap out of someone. He, he, he shattered his shield by hitting the boss on the shield. That's the metal bit in the middle of the shield. Split the thing in half, broke his armour somehow by hitting the shield, and, 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 and knocked him off his horse, which we don't hear about until that point where he says, you knocked off your horse, which is a bit odd. But yeah, proper, like, knightly fight. Yeah, you're the bad guy, I'm going to batter you. Oh, look, one, one hit. O chieftain, said Havgan, what right hast thou to cause my death? I was not injuring thee in anything, 
and I know not wherefore thou wouldest slay me. But, for the love of heaven, since thou hast begun to slay me, complete thy work. Ah, chieftain, he replied, I may yet repent doing that unto thee. Slay thee who may, I will not do so. My trusty lords, said Havgan, bear me hence, my death has come. I shall be no more able to uphold you. My nobles, also said he who was in the semblance of Aaron, take counsel and know who ought to be my subjects. Lords, said the nobles, all should be, for there is no king over the whole of Ar Anwen but thee. Yes, he replied, it is right that he who comes humbly should be received graciously, but he that doth not come with obedience shall be compelled by force of swords. And thereupon he received the homage of the men, and he began to conquer the country. And the next day, by noon, the two kingdoms were in his power. And thereupon he went to keep his tryst, and came to Glyncook. And when he came there, the king of Anwin was there to meet him, and each of them was rejoiced to see the other. Verily, said Anwin, may heaven reward thee for thy friendship towards me. I have heard of it. When thou comest thyself to thy dominions, said he, thou wilt see that which I have done for thee. Whatever thou hast done for me, may heaven repay it thee. Then Arin gave to Pyrrhal, prince of Divid, his proper form and semblance, and he himself took his own. And Arin sent forth towards the court of Anwin, and he was rejoiced when he beheld his hosts and his household, whom he had not seen so long. But they had not known of his absence, and wondered no more at his coming than usual. And that day was spent in joy and merriment, and he sat and conversed with his wife and nobles. And when it was time for them rather to sleep than converse, they went to rest. So there you go. That's kind of like the first part of the first branch of the Mabinogion. You're seeing this kind of whole setup of things and this weird courtly nightly battle thing of something or other of just like oh, i've hit you once and you're dead and yeah it's all a bit weird as i say but it's kind of cool well at least i think it's cool if you don't then bleh. this is my podcast and you're listening to it so eh, you must do to some extent <laughs> you suckers another reason i'm kind of recording this in day early is i th well i'm recording it earlier than i usually would is i've got i think i've got sore throat coming so I thought I'd record it before it came in and I wasn't able to record it. You don't really need to know that, but um, yeah, I'm recording this a day earlier than I usually would. But it will still go out on Folklore Thursday, because Folklore Thursday is amazing. And I should probably take more, more of a part in it and actually take part in my social media that I have. But I don't, because I'm a lazy git. Right, I'll have a slurp, open up a new drink, and we shall get on with the rest of the story. I'm not even halfway through, I'm about a third of the way through the story, so... You're in for a treat. Right. Where am I? What am I doing? Pearl, Prince of Divid, came likewise to his country and dominions, and began to inquire of the nobles of his land how his rule had been during the past year compared to what it had been before. Lord, said thee, thy wisdom was never so great, and thou wast never so kind or so free in bestowing thou gifts, and thy justice was never more worthily seen in this year. By heaven, said he, for all the good you have enjoyed, you shall thank him who hath been with you. For behold, thus hath this matter been. And thereupon Pyrrhal related the whole unto them. Verily, Lord, said they, render thanks unto heaven that thou hast such a fellowship, and withhold not from us the rule which we have enjoyed from this year past. 
I take heaven to witness that I will not withhold it, answered Pyrrhal. And henceforth they made strong friendship that was between them, and each sent unto the other horses and greyhounds and hawks, and all such jewels as they thought would be pleasing to each other. And by reason of his having dwelt that year in Anwin, and having ruled there so prosperously, and united the two kingdoms in one day by his valour and prowess, he lost the name of Pyrrhal, Prince of Divid, and was called Pyrrhal Chief and Anwin from that time forward. Actually, that's the end of the first part. I do apologise. <laughs> I got ahead of myself there because... Uh, what you see, even though we have what we call the four branches of the Mabinogion, where we have kind of like four main tales in a way, each of these four tales is actually kind of broken down into three little bits, but they follow a an overall kind of story in a way. They relate with the same kind of people. And then... There's no kind of, there is kind of a connection between each branch, but not really that much of a connection. Some of the names do pop up throughout the different branches, but yeah, the first branch, second branch, third branch, fourth branch, these are all three separate tales kind of woven into one long story. So anyway, yeah, that's the first that's the end of the first part of the first branch, the Mabinogion. Uh one of the two parts, yeah, and we're over, we're 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 like halfway through. We're about half an hour in, so this is going to be a really long episode. Yay! I'm going to be sloshed by the end of this. Once upon a time, Pyrrhal was at Narbreth, his chief palace, where a feast had been prepared for him, and with him was a great host of men. And after the first meal, Pyrrhal arose to walk, and he went to the top of a mound that was above the palace, and was called Gorsed Arbeth. Sorry. Lord, said one of the court, it is peculiar to the mound that whoever sits upon it cannot go thence, without either receiving wounds or blows, or else seeing a wonder. I fear not to receive wounds and blows in the midst of such a host as this, but as to the wonder, gladly would I see it. I will go, therefore, and sit upon the mound. Because that always bodes well. It can either hurt you, or you can see something cool. Yeah, I know what. I've got a load of people around me, so I don't really care about being hit. I'm going to be big macho man. Look at me, I'm big macho man. I'm going to show that I'm really strong and sit on a mound. Magical, mystical mound, shall we say. Because nothing weird's about to happen. Honest. So, anyway, on with the story. And upon the mound he sat. And while he sat there, they saw a lady on a pure white horse of large size, with a garment of shining gold around her, coming along the highway that led from the mound. And the horse seemed to move at a slow and even pace and to be coming up towards the mound. My men, said Pyrrhal, is there any among you who knows this yonder lady? There is not, lord, said they. Go, one of you, and meet her, that we may know who she is. And one of them rose, and as he came upon the road to meet her, she passed by, and he followed as fast as he could. Being on foot, the greater was his speed, the further she was from him. And when he saw that it profited him nothing to follow her, he returned to Pyrrhal and said unto him, Lord, it is idle for anyone in the world to follow her on foot. Verily, said Pyrrhal, go unto the palace, and take the fleetest horse thou thus seest, and go after her. Guess where this is going? Might be a bit of a rule of three here. We love the rule of three on this podcast. And he took a horse and went forward, and he came to an open level plain and put spurs to his horse. And the more he urged his horse, the further she was from him. 
Yet she held the same pace at first. And as his horse began to fail, and when his horse's feet failed him, he returned to the place where Pyrrhal was. Lord, said he, it will avail nothing for anyone to follow yonder lady. I know of no horse in these realms swifter than this, and it availed me not to pursue her. Of a truth, said Pyrrhal, there must be some illusion here. Let us go towards the palace. So to the palace they went, and they spent the day, and the next day they arose, and they also spent until it was time to go to meet. And after the first meal, verily, said Pyrrhal, we will go the same party as yesterday's to the top of the mound, and do thou, said he to one of his young men, take the swiftest horse that thou knowest in the field. And thus the young men did, and they went towards the mound, taking the horse with them. And as they were sitting down, they beheld the lady on the same horse, and in the same apparel, coming along the road. Behold, said Pyrrhal, here is the lady of yesterday. Make ready, youth, to learn who she is. My lord, said he, that I will gladly do. And thereupon the lady came opposite to them. So the youth mounted his horse, and before he settled himself in his saddle, she passed by. And there was a clear space between them, but her speed was no greater than it had been the day before. Then he put his horse into an amble, and thought, notwithstanding the gentle pace at which his horse went, he should soon overtake her. But this availed him not, so he gave his horse the reins. And still he came no nearer to her than when he was at a foot's pace, and the more he urged his horse, the further she was from him. Yet she rode not faster than before. When he saw that it availed not to follow her, he returned to the place where Pyrrhal was. Lord, said he, the horse can know more than thou hast seen. I see indeed that it avails not that any one should follow her. And by heaven, he said, she must needs have an errand to someone in the plain. If her haste would allow her to declare it, let us go back to the palace. And to the palace they went, and they spent the night in songs and feasting, and it pleased them. So giving up on a task, going back and getting pissed, basically. Fair enough. We all know I like a drink here, so let's go and get drunk. And the next day they amused themselves until it was time to go to meet. And when meet was ended, Pyrrhal said, Where are the hosts that went yesterday and the day before to the top of the mound? Behold, Lord, we are here, said they. Let us go, said he, to the mound to sit there. And do thou, said he to the page who tended the horse, saddle my horse well and hasten with him to the road. And bring also my spurs with thee. And the youth did thus. And they went and sat upon the mound. And ere they had been there but a short time, they beheld the lady coming by the same road, and in the same manner and at the same pace. Young man, said Pill, I see the lady coming. Give me my horse. And no sooner had he mounted the horse than she passed him by. And he turned after her and followed her. And he let his horse go, bounding playfully, and thought that at the second step or third he should come up with her. But he came no nearer to her than at first. Then he urged his horse to his utmost speed, yet he found that it availed nothing to follow her. Then said Pyrrhal, O maiden, for the sake of him who thou lovest best, stay for me. I will stay gladly, said she, and it were better for thy horse hath thou asked it long since. So the maiden stopped, and she threw back that part of her headdress which had covered her face. She fixed her eyes upon him, and began to talk with him. Lady, 
asked he. Whence comest thou, and whereunto dost thou journey? I journey on my own errand, said she, and right glad I am to see thee. My greeting be unto thee, said he. Then he thought that the beauty of all the maidens and all the ladies that he had ever seen was as nothing compared to her beauty. Lady, he said, wilt thou tell me out concerning thy purpose? I will tell thee, said she. My chief quest was to seek thee. Behold, said Pyrrhal, this is to be my most pleasing quest on which thou could have come, and wilt thou tell me who thou art? I will tell thee, Lord, said she. I am Rhiannon, the daughter of Hen, and they sought to give me to a husband against my will, but no husband would I have, and that because of my love for thee. Neither will I yet have one unless thou reject me, and hither I have come to hear thy answer. By heaven, said Pyrrhal, behold, this is my answer. If I might choose among all the ladies and damsels in the world, thee would I choose. Verily, said she, if thou art thus minded, make a pledge to meet me ere I am given to another. The sooner I may do so, the more pleasing would it be unto me, said Pyrrhal. And whosoever thou wilt, there will I meet with thee. I will that thou meet me this day, twelve months at the pl palace of Hevid, and I will cause a feast to be prepared, so that it be ready against thou come. Gladly, said he, will I keep this tryst. Lord, said she, remain in health and be mindful that thou keep thy promise, and now I will go hence. So they parted, and he went back to his host, and to them of his household, and who, whatsoever questions they asked him respecting the damsel, he always turned the discourse upon other matters. And when a year from that time was gone, he caused a hundred knights to equip themselves and go with him to the palace of Hevid Hen, and he came to the palace, and there was great joy concerning him, with much discourse of people with great rejoicing, and vast preparations for his coming, and the whole court was placed under his orders. Um, he, he tries to send people three times chasing after this woman on the fastest horses in the realm. We, well, we start off with the fastest horse in the realm. And then you find another fastest horse. And then you find another fastest horse. If the fastest horse in the realm doesn't work and there are no other horses which are technically faster, why would you get another horse to chase after him? Well, the sense of folklore and fairy tales for you there. Woo. Um, but yeah, so eventually he does, he he, 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 he shouts at her and goes, Oi, stop running away from me. And she goes, that's all you need to say, all you need to do, you just need to talk to me. Stop chasing me and just talk to me. You learn a lot from that, people. Talk to people, don't just chase them. Especially if the horse is walking and seems to be going a lot faster than your horse. But yeah, they've never met before and she says, I love you, I want to marry you. I don't want to marry this other dude, I want to marry you. I've never met you before, but I want to marry you. And he's like, yeah, I want to marry you too. I've never met you before, I've only seen you. And you're right hot, so therefore I want to marry you. You're like the hottest girl I've ever seen. And when I was talking about meat earlier, it's meat as in M-E-A-T. Like the first meat breakfast, basically, but they ate meat. And the hall was garnished, and they went to meat. See, meat breakfast. And thus they did sit. Hevid Hen was on one side of Pyrrhal, and Rhiannon on the another, and all the rest according to their rank, and they ate and feasted and talked with one another. And at the beginning of the carousel, after the meat, there entered a tall, auburn-haired youth, 
of royal bearing, clothed in a garment of satin. And when he came into the hall, he saluted Pyrrhal and his companions. The greetings of heaven be upon thee, my soul, said Pyrrhal. Come thou and sit down. Nay, said he. A suitor am I, and I will do mine errand. Do so willingly, said Pyrrhal. Lord, said he, my errand is unto thee, and it is to crave a boon of thee that I come. What boon so soever thou mayest ask of me, as far as I am able, thou shalt help. I'm guessing he's probably a little bit pissed at this time, and so he's kind of just going, yeah, yeah, cool, you look like a nice cool bloke, I'll give you whatever you want. And in stereotypical time style, the woman, yeah. Ah, said Rhiannon. Wherefore didst thou give that answer? Has he not given it before the presence of these nobles? asked the youth. My soul, said Pyrrhal, what is the boon thou asked? The lady whom best I love is to be thy bride this night. I come to ask her of thee, with the feast and the banquet that are in this place. And I'm imagining the colour kind of drains from Pyrrhal, Pyrrhal's face at this point, and his jaw kind of drops and goes, ah, fuck, what have I just done? And Pyrrhal was silent because of the answer which he had given. Be silent as long as thou will, said Rhiannon. Never did man make worse of his wits than thou hast done. Lady, said he, I knew not who he was. Behold, this is the man to whom they would have given me against my will, said she. And he is Gwal, the son of Clud. Such a great name, Gwal, the son of Clud. It's very Conan, and there's a name. That's what we'll go with, it's very Conan. A man of great power and wealth. And because of the word thou hast spoken, bestow me upon him, lest shame befall thee. Lady, said he, I understand not thine answer. Never can I do as thou sayest. Bestow me upon him, said she, and I will cause that I shall never be his. By what means will that be? asked Pyrrhal. Probably very confused at this point, as probably some of you are as well. In thy hand will I give thee a small bag, said she. See that thou keep it well, and he will ask of thee the banquet, and the feast, and the preparations, which are not in thy power. And to the house and the household will I give the feast, and such will be thy answer respecting this. And as concerns myself, I will engage to become his bride this night, twelfth month. And at the end of the year be thou here, said she. And bring this bag with thee, and let thy hundred knights be in the orchard up yonder. And when he is in the mists of joy and feasting, come thou in by thyself, clad in ragged garments, and holding thy bag in thy hand. And ask nothing but a bag full of food. And I will cause that if all the meat and liquor that are in the seven cantrevs were put in it, it would be no fuller than before. And after a great deal has been put in therein, he will ask thee whether thy bag will ever be full. Say thou then that it will never, until a man of noble birth and of great wealth arise and press the food in the bag with both his feet, saying, Enough has been put therein, and I will cause him to go and tread down the food in the bag. And when he has done so, turn thou the bag so that he shall be up over his head in it, and then slip a knot upon the thongs of the bag. Let there be also a good bugle horn about thy neck, and as soon as thou hast bound him in a bag, Wind thy horn, and let it be a signal between thee and thy knights. And when they hear the sound of the horn, let them come down upon the palace. Lord, said Quill, 
it is meet that I have an answer to my request. I'm assuming this conversation between Rhiannon and Pearl has kind of happened in kind of like whispers away from Geralt. Otherwise, he's heard all of this and really is about to know what's going to happen on. Obviously, I know the story and I know that's not true, but I just imagine them kind of conspiratorially whispering behind someone's chair or something going, I'll give you a bag if you get him to stick all the food in it and then get him to jump on the food. You can tie him up in it and it'll it'll all be good because the bag's magic and it's bottomless. Oh, right, cool. Yeah, 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 I'll do that. That sounds really cool. We can lock him up in a bag and then throw him in a river or something. Sounds really good fun. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I imagine this is a bit of a conspiratorial questioning going on kind of there in the background and Gerald is not hearing any of it. As much of that thou... Anyway, back on with the story, I should say. As much of that thou hast asked, as it is in my power to give, thou shalt have, replied Pyrrhal. My soul, said Rhiannon upon to him, as for the feast and the banquet that are here, I have bestowed them upon the men of Divid and the household and the warriors that are with us. These can I not suffer to be given to any. In a year from tonight a banquet shall be prepared for thee in this palace, that I may become thy bride. So Gwil went forth to his possessions, and Pyrrhal went back to Divid. And they both spent that year until it was time for the feast at the palace of Hevidhen. And then Gwil, the son of Clud, set out to the feast that was prepared for him. And he came to the palace, and he was received there with rejoicing. Pyrrhal, the chief of Anwin, came to the orchard with his hundred knights, as Rhiannon had commanded him, having the bag with him. And Pyrrhal was clad in coarse and ragged garments, and wore large, clumsy old shoes upon his feet. And when he knew that the carousel, after the meat, had become carousal, 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 I don't know why I keep saying carousel, carousal, after the meat had begun, he went towards the hall, and when he came into the hall, he saluted Quell, the son of Clud, and the company, both men and women. Heaven prosper thee, said Gwil, and greeting of heaven be upon thee. Lord, said he, may heaven reward thee, I have an errand unto thee. Welcome, be thine errand, and if thou ask of me that which is just, thou shalt have it gladly. It is fitting, answered he. I crave but from want, and the boon that I ask is to have this small bag that thou seest filled with meat. A request within reason is this, said he, and gladly shalt thou have it. Bring him food. A great number of attendants arose and began to fill the bag, and for all that they put into it, it was no fuller than at first. My soul! said Quirrell. Will thy bag ever be full? It will not. I declare it to heaven, said he, for all that may be put into it, unless one possessed of lands and domains and treasure, shall arise and tread down with both feet the food that is within the bag, and shall say, Enough has been put therein. Then said Rhiannon unto Gwal, the son of Clud, Rise up quickly. I will willingly arise, said he. So he rose up and put his two feet into the bag. And Pyrrhal quickly turned up the sides of the bag so that Quirrell was over his head in it. And he shut it up quickly and slipped the knot upon the thongs and blew his horn. And thereupon, behold, his household came upon the palace. And they seized all the host that had come with Quirrell and cast them into his own prison. 
and Pirrell threw off his rags and his old shoes and his tattered array. And as they came in, every one of Pirrell's knights struck a blow upon the bag and asked, What is here? A badger, said they. And in this manner they played, each of them striking the bag, either with his foot or with a staff. And thus they played with the bag. Every one, as he came in, asked, What game are you playing at thus? The game of badger in the bag, said they. And then the game of badger in the bag first played. Because apparently badger in the bag is a game. I've not heard of it. Uh, I've only heard of it in this context, so... Yas. Mm. Lord, said the man in the bag, if thou wouldst but hear me, I merit not to be slain in a bag, said Hevid Hen. Lord, he speaks truth. If it were fitting that thou listen to him, for he deserves not this. Verily, said Pyrrhal, I will do thy counsel concerning him. Behold, this is my counsel then, said Renan. Thou art now in a position in which it behoves thee to satisfy suitors and minstrels. Let him give unto them in thy stead, and take a pledge from him that he will never seek to revenge that which was been done to him, and this will be punishment enough. I will do this gladly, said the man in the bag, and gladly will I accept it, said Pyrrhal, since it is the counsel of Hevid and Huyunon. Such then is our counsel, answered they. I accept it, said Pyrrhal. Seek thyself sureties. We will be for him, said Hevid, until this man, until his men be free to answer for him. And upon this he was let out of the bag, and his liegemen were liberated. Demand now of Grill his sureties, said Hevid. We know which should be taken of him. And Hevid numbered the sureties. Said Grill, do thy thou self draw up the covenant. It will suffice me that it be as Rhiannon said, said Pyrrhal. So unto that covenant were the sureties pledged. Verily, Lord, said Gwirl, I am greatly hurt, and I have many bruises. I have need to be anointed. With thy leave I will go forth. I will leave nobles in my steed to answer for me if thou shalt require. Willingly, said Pyrrhal, mayest thou do thus. So Gwirl went towards his own possessions. And the hall was set in order for Pyrrhal and the men of his host, and for them also of the place. And they went to the tables and sat down. And as they sat, that time twelve months so sat they that night. And they ate, and they feasted, and spent the night in mirth and tranquillity. And the time came that they should sleep, and Pyrrhal and Rhiannon went to the chamber. And next morning, at the break of day, My lord, said Rhiannon, arise, and begin to give thy gifts unto the minstrels. Refuse no one today that may claim thy bounty. Thus shall it be gladly, said Pyrrhal, both today and every day, while the feast shall last. So Pyrrhal arose, and he caused silence to be proclaimed, and desired all the suitors and the minstrels to show and to point out what gifts were to their wishes and desire. And this being done, the feast went on, and he denied no one while it lasted. And when the feast was ended, Pyrrhal went unto Hevid, My lord, with thy permission, I will set out for Divid tomorrow. Certainly, said Hevid. May heaven prosper thee. Fix also a time when Rhiannon may follow thee. By heaven, said Pyrrhal, we will go hence together. Willest thou this, lord? said Hevid. Yes, by heaven, answered Pyrrhal. And the next day they set forward towards Divid, and journeyed to the palace of Narbeth, where a feast was made ready for them. And there came to them great numbers of the chief men, and the most noble ladies of the land. 
and of these there was none to whom Rhiannon did not give such rich gift, either a bracelet or a ring or a precious stone, and they ruled the land prosperously both that year and the next. And we're slowly starting to see the end of this first story and beginning of the next one starting to arise. So we've got the marriage of Rhiannon and Pyrrhal to some extent there. And in the third year, the nobles of the land began to be sorrowful at seeing a man whom they loved so much and who was moreover their lord and their foster brother without an heir. And they came to him and the place where they met was Presolo in Divid. Lord, said they, we know that thou art not so young so as some of the men of this country, and we fear that thou mayest not have an heir of the wife whom thou hast taken. Take therefore another wife of whom thou mayest have heirs. Thou canst not always continue with us, and though thou desire to remain as thou art, we will not suffer thee. Truly, said Pyrrhal, we have not long been joined together, and many things may yet befall. Grant me a year from this time, and for the space of a year we will abide together, and after that I will do according to your wishes. So they granted it. And before the end of the year, a son was born unto him. Oh, isn't that nice? And in Narbeth was he born. And on the night he was born, women were brought to watch the mother and the boy. And the woman slept, as did also Rhiannon, the mother of the boy. Yeah, people who were meant to be watching a baby fell asleep. Nothing bad's gonna happen. Nah, it's all fine. Don't worry about it. We're all good here. No babies get hurt in the making of this podcast. Uh, apart from the ones that got yeeted off a cliff by a giant. Eh, one of them got saved, I suppose. There's been a lot of yeeting in this podcast. I promise you there's no yeeting in this episode. And the number of women that were brought into the chamber was six. And they watched for a good portion of the night. And before midnight, every one of them fell asleep. And towards the break of day, they awoke. And when they awoke, they looked where they had put the boy. And behold, he was not there. Oh, said one of the women, the boy is lost. Yes, said another. And it will be small vengeance if we are burnt or put to death because of the child. Said one of the women, is there any counsel for us in the world in this matter? There is, answered another. I offer you good counsel. What is that? asked they. There is here a staghound bitch. She has a litter of whelps. Let us kill some of the cubs and rub the blood on the face and hands of Rhiannon and lay the bones before her and assert that she herself hath devoured her son and she alone will not be able to gainsay her six. And according to this counsel, it was settled. And towards morning Rhiannon awoke and she said, Women, where is my son? Lady, said they, ask us not concerning thy son. We have nought but the blows and bruises we got by struggling with thee. And of a truth we never saw any woman so violent as thou, for it was of no avail to contend with thee. Hast thou not thyself devoured thy son? Claim him not, therefore, of us. For pity's sake, said Rhiannon, the Lord God knows all things. Charge me not falsely. If you tell me this from fear, I assert before heaven that I will defend you. Truly, said they, we would not bring evil on ourselves for any one in the world. For pity's sake, said Rhiannon, you will receive no evil by telling the truth. But all her words, whether fair or harsh, she received but the same answer from the women. And we start to see that weird thing where women are mistreated again in folklore. 
it is a sign of the times um and this is kind of a it's a bit of a trope within folklore bad shit happens to women there's also some cool stuff that happens to to women in in the mabinogion there's also some really nasty stuff so i do apologize i will tell the tale of finn mccall at some point who has like the most epic upbringing in a very feminist friendly kind of way yeah it's brilliant anyway that's another story for another day we're talking about Pyrrhul and Rhiannon and their child, or lack thereof. And Pyrrhul, the chief of Alwyn, arose, and his household and his hosts. And this occurrence could not be concealed, but the story went forth throughout the land, and all the nobles heard it. Then the nobles came to Pyrrhul and besought him to put away his wife, because of the great crime which she had done. But Pyrrhul answered them that they had no cause, wherefore they might ask him to put away his wife save for her having no children. But children has she had now, therefore will I not put her away? If she has done wrong, let her do penance for it. So Rhiannon sent for the teachers and the wise men, and she preferred doing penance to contending with with the women. She took upon her a penance, and the penance that was imposed upon her was that she would remain in the palace of Narbeth until the end of seven years and that she should sit every day near into the horse-block that was without the gate, and that she should relate the story to all who should come there, whom she might suppose not to know it already, and that she should offer the guests and strangers, if they would permit her, to carry them upon her back into the palace, but it rarely happened that anyone would permit, and thus did she spend part of the year. And that is kind of the end of the, I suppose that's the end of the second bit, and then we start to see the punishment and all sorts of weirdness starting to happen now so um we are coming coming up the end i suppose now at the time of tiernan triv vliant was lord of gwentis quid and was the best man in the world and unto his house there belonged a mare than which neither mare nor horse in the kingdom was more beautiful and on the night of every first of may she foaled and no one ever knew what became of the colt and one night in and talked to his wife. Wife, said he, it is very simple of us that our mare should foal every year, and that we should have none of her colts. What can be done in the matter? said she. This is the night of the first of May, said he. The vengeance of heaven be upon me, if I learn not what it is that takes away the colts. So he caused the mare to be brought into a house, and he armed himself and began to watch that night. And in the beginning of the night the mare followed a large and beautiful colt, and it was standing up in the place. Tiernan rose up and looked at the size of the colt, and as he did so he heard a great tumult, and after the tumult beheld a claw came through the window and into the house, and it seized the colt by the mane. Then Tiernan drew his sword and struck the arm at the elbow, so that a portion of the arm together with the colt was in the house with him. And then did he hear a tumult and waning both at once, and he opened the door and rushed out into the direction of the noise. And he could not see the cause of the tumult because of the darkness of the night, but he rushed after and followed it. Then he remembered that he had left the door open, and he returned. And at the door beheld there was an infant boy in swaddling cloths, wrapped around in a mantle of satin. And he took up the boy and beheld he was very strong for the age that he was of. Dun dun dun, random child at a doorway. I wonder who this child is. Then he shut the door and went into the chamber where his wife was. Lady, said he, art thou sleeping? No, Lord, 
said she. I was asleep, but as thou came in, I did awake. Behold, here is a boy for thee, if thou wilt, said he, since thou hast never had one. My lord, said she, what adventure is this? It was thus, said Tiernan, and he told her how it all befell. Verily, lord, said she, what sort of garments are upon the boy? A mantle of satin, said he. He is then a boy of gentle lineage, she replied. My lord, she said, if thou wilt, I shall have great diversions and mirth. I will call my women unto me, and tell them that I have been pregnant. I will readily grant thee to do this, he answered. And thus did they, and they caused the boy to be baptised, and the ceremony was performed there. And the name which they gave unto him was Gwiwalterin, because what hair was upon his head was as yellow as gold. And they had the boy nursed in the court until he was a year old. And before the year was over, he could walk stoutly, and he was larger than a boy of three years old, even one of great growth and size. And the boy was nursed the second year, and then he was as large as a child of six years old. And before the end of the fourth year, he would bribe the grooms to allow him to take the horses to water. My lord, said his wife unto Tiernan, where is the colt which thou didst save on that night, that thou didst find the boy? I have commanded the grooms of the horses, said he that they take care of him. Would it not be well, Lord, said she, if thou wert to cause him to be broken in and given to the boy, seeing that on the same night that thou didst find the boy, the colt was found, and thou didst save him? I will not oppose thee in this manner, said Tiernan. I will allow thee to give him the colt. Lord, said she, may heaven reward thee. I will give it to him. So the horse was given to the boy. Then she went to the grooms and those who tended the horses and commanded them to be careful of the horse, so they might be broken in by the time the boy could ride them. And while these things were going on, they heard tidings of Rhiannon and her punishment. And Tiernan, by reason of the pity that he felt on hearing the story of Rhiannon and her punishment, inquired closely concerning it, until he had heard from many of those who came to his court. Then did Tiernan often, lamenting the sad history, Ponder within himself, and he looked steadfastly on the boy. And as he looked upon him, it seemed to him that he had never beheld so great a likeness between father and son, as between the boy and Pyrrhal, the chief of Anwin. Now the semblance of Pyrrhal was well known to him, for he had of yore been one of his followers, and therefore he became grieved for the wrong that he did, in keeping with him a boy whom he knew to be the son of another man. And the first time he was alone with his wife, he told her that it was not right that they should keep the boy with them, and suffer so excellent a lady as Rhiannon to be punished so greatly on his account. Whereas the boy was the son of Pyrrhal, the chief of Arwen, Tiernan's wife agreed with him, and they should send the boy to Pyrrhal. And three things, Lord, said she, shall we gain thereby thanks and gifts for releasing Rhiannon from her punishment? and thanks from Pyrrhal for nursing his son and restoring him unto him. And thirdly, if the boy is of gentle nature, he will be our foster son, and he will do for us all the good in his power. So it was settled according to this counsel. So they first off realise that they've nicked somebody's kid um, in very weird and mysterious circumstances, and then they realise, oh crap, it's actually like Lord, Chief, Bloke, really cool bloke, and his wife is suffering because we've nicked her child. 
but we're also going to use it as a bargaining chip because we think we if we we can get some cool shit out of this and like we can make these people like us more and do good things for us because we've returned their son not because we're good people but because we think we can get things out of it well they were going to return it anyway but i think maybe the good things that they're going to get out of it kind of betrayed anyway and no later than the next day was tin and equipped and two of the knights with him and the boy, as a fourth in the company, went with them upon horse which Tynan had given him, and they journeyed towards Narbeth. And it was not long before they reached the place, and as they drew near to the palace, they beheld Rhiannon sitting beside the horse block. And when they were opposite her, Chieftain, said she, go not further thus, I will bear every one of you into the palace, and this is my penance for slaying my own son and devouring him. Oh, fair lady, said Tynan. Think not that I will be one to be carried upon thy back. Neither will I, said the boy. Truly, my soul, said Tiernan, we will not go. So they went forward to the palace, and there was great joy at their coming. And at the palace a feast was prepared, because Pyrrhal was come back from the confines of Divid, and they went into the hall and washed. And Pyrrhal rejoiced to see Tiernan, and in this order they sat, Tiernan between Pyrrhal and Rhiannon, and Tiernan's two companions on the other side of Pyrrhal, with the boy between them. And after meat they began to carouse and discourse, and Tiernan's discourse was concerning the adventures of the mare and the boy, and how he and his wife had nursed and reared the child as their own. And behold, here is thy son, lady, said Tiernan, and whosoever told that lie concerning thee has done thee wrong. And when I heard of thy sorrow, I was troubled and grieved, and I believe that there is none of this host who will not perceive that the boy is the son of Pyrrhal said Tiernan. There is none, said they all, who is not certain thereof. I declare to heaven, said Rhiannon, that if this be true, there is indeed an end to my trouble. Lady, said Pendaran Divid, well hast thou named thy son Pideri, and well becomes him the name of Pideri, son of Pyrrhal, chief of Anwin. Look you, said Rhiannon, will not his own name become better? What name has he? said Pendaran Divid. Worry Wild Urin is the name that we gave him. Prideri, Pendaran, shall be his name. It were more proper, said Pyrrhal, that the boy should take his name from the word his mother spoke when she received the joyful tidings of him. And thus it was arranged. Basically, what just happened there was some random bloke called Pendaran Divid uh, turned around and said, no, the name you gave him was crap, we're going to call him Prideri. Ooh, we're near the end. Tiernan, said Pyrrhal, Heaven reward thee that thou hast reared the boy up to this time, and being of gentle lineage, it were fitting that he repay thee for it. My lord, said Tiernan, it was my wife who nursed him, and there is no one in the world so afflicted as she as parting with him. If it were well that he should bear in mind what I and my wife have done for him, I call heaven to witness, said Pyrrhal that while I live I will support thee and thy possessions, as long as I am able to preserve my own, and when he shall have power he will more fitly maintain them than I. And if this counsel be pleasing unto thee and to my nobles it shall be that, as thou hast reared him up to the present time, I will give him to be brought up by Pendar and Divid from henceforth, and you shall be his companions and shall be both his foster fathers unto him. That is good counsel, said they all. So the boy was given to Pindar and Divid, and the nobles of the land were sent with him. 
and Tiernan and his companions set out for his country and his possessions with love and gladness. And he went not without being offered the fairest jewels and the fairest horses and the choicest dogs. But he would take none of them. Tiernan's a good bloke. He's just been offered loads and loads and loads of cool stuff. And he's like, yeah, no, I don't really need any of it. Even though I just asked for it and my wife wants it or I'm just not going to take it. Also, uh, this story does actually give Tiernan's full name, but I just can't pronounce. I just don't want to. Tiriv Vliant. Too many words to trip over. Anyway. Thereupon they all remained in their own dominions, and Pryderi, the son of Pyrrhul, the chief of Anwin, was brought up carefully, and as was fit, so that he became the fairest youth and the most comely, and the best skilled in all good game of any in the kingdom. And thus passed years and years, until the end of Pyrrhul, the chief of Anwin's life, came, and he died. And Pryderi ruled the seven cantrevs of Divid prosperously, and he, beloved, and he was beloved by his people, and boy all around him, and at length he added unto them three cantrives of Istrad Twi and the four cantrives of Cardigan. And these were called the seven cantrives of Seswick. And when he made this addition, Pideri the son of Pril, the chief of Anbrin, desired to take a wife. And the wife he chose was Kikfa, the daughter of Gwyn Gawhwe, the son of Gloihweld Lindan, the son of Prince Kasnar, one of the nobles of this island. And thus ends this portion of the Mabinogion. So yeah, this is the, that's 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 the first part of the Mabinogion, kind of setting up, setting a tale of weirdness and making me trip over my words and things. I'm not going to delve into the stories and, and the things behind it because this is already a very long episode. I will do a little bit each time I look at the Mabinogion and read the stories of the Mabinogion. I'll do a little bit of a discussion on it. But yeah, there you go. That's Pyrrhal, the chieftain of Devid, the prince of Divid. And uh, his love for Rhiannon and their weird, I've had a baby, it's been stolen by somebody and nobody knows what, but I'm guessing the devil. And then all sorts of weirdness going on in that. But yeah, cool. So that is the first branch of the Mabinogion, uh, the first branch of the Mavi. Uh, uh, it gets better. <laughs> the, the next couple of, the branch two is even weirder and uh, involves giants and things. Giants who aren't giants, and people building houses, and then people in bags and heads being squished, and all, and someone teaching a bird to talk. Um, it gets all a bit weird in the second branch of the Mabinogion. The second branch is probably one of my favourites, but we will do that on another day. So I will end this episode here. I hope you enjoyed. Well, I do. I'm. It's a bit of a long one. It's a bit of an odd one today. It's not my usual style that I seem to be falling into. I do lots of talking, description stuff. I have just read the story for you today. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, as I say, and as you, if any of you have listened before, the Mabi is one of my favourite kind of collections of stories, um, of folklore and folktales and le- legends and myths and stuff. So I do hope you enjoyed that. If you didn't, let me know what you loved, what you didn't like. Please do like and subscribe to follow me on whatever podcast place it is whether it's apple spotify or somewhere else um if you are on apple please do rate and leave me a comment because that's a good way to kind of promote the podcast share me around on the socials and all that kind of stuff you can find me on the, on the social side of stuff you can find me and um, on twitter at the drunken store one um i'm not very active there in fact i'm not very active in many places because i'm slack at social media 
I'm also on Facebook as The Drunken Storyteller. You can email me at thedrunkenstorytelleruk at gmail.com to send me suggestions on topics and things. I'd love to hear from you guys, um, those of you who do listen. Um, my audience is slowly growing. I'm probably getting about 20 listens an episode or so now. I would love to hear from people and know what they kind of think of my inane ramblings that I'm doing. You can also go check me out over on another podcast I do, which is Dark Days Radio, where I talk about horror-themed RPGs, World of Darkness and Crockwell's Darkness, and some Warhammer, Fantasy, Warhammer RPG stuff on the Dark Hammer episodes. But yeah, all I want to say now is thank you very much for listening. This has been a long episode, and I have told a long tale, and I've not done much discussion. I've, I've inanely rambled at points, and I've not inanely rambled at points. All I shall say now is... Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day, evening, morning, whatever time of day it is, and goodbye.